Hello and welcome to Owning It, the podcast that celebrates the inspiring choices made by women who refused to simply follow the crowd and chose the road less traveled. I'm your host, Sandhya Tukaram, and in each episode, we'll have real conversations with these incredible women who choose to carve their own path because following just isn't an option. They may not be making headlines, but every one of them is a role model. So join me and let's explore the power of choice and the inspiration it brings right here on Owning It. In this latest episode of Owning It, we dive into the inspiring journey of Richa, a seasoned tech professional who made a transformative leap into the world of fashion entrepreneurship. Richa's mission is ambitious to elevate the traditional weaves of Orissa's tribal artisans to the global stage. Stepping out of her comfort zone and finding her purpose, Richa's story is all about owning it. Richa, hi. Thanks for joining me on Owning It. Uh, When I recently met you, I came back thinking how special it was to meet someone who's found their purpose. You don't often meet someone who's found their purpose. I think a lot of us go through that journey. Uh, I feel I haven't found mine yet. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it's extra special when you have. Um, And usually I start these conversations going back in time. But with you, because I feel you're at such a significant point in your journey, I want to start with now. I want to start with the birth of Boito. Tell me about how a young engineer went from being a techie of sorts and has now found her purpose in the heartland of Orissa. So, uh, Sandhya, to tell you honestly, I do feel very strongly about Boito. I do feel that um, I've found a purpose. I've found a place where I feel really happy and I feel very passionate about doing what I'm doing. How it all started, I've been with SAP for almost 16 plus years of my life. The one company that I kind of was married to forever. And uh, I hated the idea of stepping out of that place. I was so comfortable there. But I think during COVID times, and it was a boon with COVID, I took a little bit of a time off I took a sabbatical from my job and I wanted to figure out what I could do with my life I was waking up with uh, with someone who has dedicated himself to social impact and I think that rubbed on me in a big way I'm talking about my husband Mekin Maheshwari he runs Udyam when I started looking out I think the one thing I've missed growing up is a language that I could call my own my parents, uh, my mother is from the north and my father is from Orissa. So we always grew up speaking Hindi and English. It was a boon that I met these, this set of kindergarten friends from yesteryears. And we met almost 30 years uh, after not seeing each other. I think we instantly connected and uh, they taught me the language. They taught me Odia and I, there was some sort of a warmth in there. There was something that kept me going back into that land where I didn't grow up at all, but it felt like home. And uh, that's when I started, when I took the sabbatical, I started traveling deep into Orissa, into uh, very remote pockets of Orissa in trying to figure out if there is something that um, I can make or I can spend my life doing, right? Something worth a purpose. And uh, what stood out for me instantaneously was um, the ikat weaving that we have in the state, which, which in the country, I think we only have Andhra Pradesh, Gujarat and Orissa that indulge in this resist dying process. 
And we also have almost 10% of the country's population congregated in Orissa, which means almost 62 tribal communities. And each of them have a beautiful indigenous story that they have behind them. So when I'm saying uh, tribal communities, I'm talking about uh, specifically weaving communities that make their own clothes. And these clothes, by the way, are very minimalistic, yet aesthetically very uh, progressive and very beautiful looking. So um, there was a lot staring at me in my face that there is this ikat resist dyeing, which comes from the eastern belt of Orissa, where we're able to weave beautiful tales. And Odia people, by the way, are extremely good at storytelling. And we also have a lot of stories to our credit because of our rich cultural history and maritime history. These stories are very easily woven into garis and scrolls, which is what they currently weave. And if you look at the saris, they will have stories of Jagannath. They will have stories of how the deities are a tribal representation because you'll see big eyes and you'll see no hands. And, you know, there is some sort of a tale going. It, uh, um, then there is the how the Kunak was built in the middle of a water body, for example, using very powerful magnets. But these are all woven into fabric. And these are, by the way, timeless historic tales which will be forgotten with time. But because people are so close to these stories and they believe in them and because textile weaving is such a principal focus in each of these family units, um, their weaving reflects these tales and their belief mm. system and value system is kind of housed in these uh, woven motifs and patterns that they are uh, currently into. So it just becomes that interesting um, canvas that we are dealing with. The tale of the community is interesting as well as how they translate it onto the fabric or the garment that they wear is extremely interesting for me, right? And then if you move on to, let's say, the Bonda community that came in from Africa almost 60,000 years ago, I would say. And uh, they, they, if you look at them today, they haven't moved spatially, right? They're still in those forested pick hills in Malkangiri district. They live in Bonda Ghati. And uh, they are a sensitive uh, tribal community in the sense that they are, uh, they're, I would say, malnutritioned and they only have an average lifespan of, let's say, 50 years. Uh, they don't let uh, medical intervention, etc., help them. But at the same time, what they're, what really is beautiful about them is they are self-sufficient. So they have trees like the Kerang trees growing in their backyard. They take the bark of the tree, they make their own yarn with that bark, and they make a rectangular piece of loin cloth, which is the only piece of garment on their body. And, uh, you know, it makes that textile so interesting for me because every house is able to weave it for themselves. So they're not dependent on outsiders to... Wow. Uh, so it's a very timeless tale in each of these textile traditions that we notice. And I found it extremely magical. And it just helped me, um, like you rightly said, find purpose because it began as a passion project for me. It still is, in fact, a big passion project for me because I believe in these textiles, I believe in these people. And I believe that uh, this storytelling exercise has great potential. These communities don't understand the potential of what they're doing or the USP of what they're able to present. And I, coming from a uh, background where I understand the meaning of what a PPT can do or what beautiful storytelling can do or what a right narrative can do, I think I want to marry these two. Um, I want to bring that art form to the fore and tell this story on a more wider global platform. Richard, thank you for taking me through the beauty of Orissa. I mean, 
I'm so intrigued and I, I know at some point I've had this brief conversation with you. I'm going to take you up on the offer of discovering Orissa through your eyes because you I make it sound so beautiful. However, much as I love the idea of Boito, I want to stay with Richa. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's Richa who met some childhood friends 30 years later and discovered her language and through that her purpose. Um, what has that meant, Richa, apart from uh, going back in time and f- discovering and, and being intrigued to make it something that, that has actually formed what you want to do going forward, but has it been as seamless as that? connecting with the communities. In the beginning, it was just about this um, fun ride for me because I was discovering my own state and I was spending time with people, understanding you know, what the food is like and how the food can be so beautiful when it's uh, you know, in, in one, uh, one dona or one leaf kind of thing, they would give one dosa, one bada, one uh, chutney, one sambar, everything mishmash and it would still taste divine and I'd pay 20 rupees for it. And it was just very different for me also. The landscape was different. You know, living in people's homes in these little villages was a very fresh breath of air, especially after being in a corporate setup for that long mm-hmm. period of time. So in the beginning, of course, it was very romantic because I was only trying to figure out, okay, this is beautiful, that is beautiful. I'm loving my language. You know, I'm able to connect with people at a different level because I have the upper hand of Odia. Um, I'm not received as a tourist anymore and I would go into a a, a shop in a village and I'd be buying some fabric uh, exploring and it would be 1 30 p.m and uh, I would be like okay where can I get lunch because I really want to eat the food here I can't miss it and the person the shopkeeper would tell me you know this is a village you won't all the restaurants shut by 12 you're late why don't you come home how and I would happily go into his house and his wife, while feeding me beautiful meal, uh, with has all the local uh, curries, etc., et would actually notice that I don't have bangles on my hand. And I'm a married girl and I'm a girl of this state. And she would give me bangles there and there. And so these are little things that added to the warmth in my journey. And it kept pulling me back, I think. You know, the warmth which, with which people accepted me, even though I haven't grown up here. It took me a while to understand the ways. I'll give you a little uh, episode. I, I went into this Weaver home and I said, I'm so excited by what you do. And these are such beautiful stories on your canvas. I really want to make these garments and present it to a Japan or a China or a Paris, you know, and I'd love that. And and I could see the light in his eyes when I had the conversation. I went home very positive and I gave him some 10 things um, you know, this, 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 I really need. And it was exactly what he was doing. It wasn't like I was messing with the uh, craft as such. I would just shift the palette a little bit, that make it muddy brown instead of a red, things like that. And, uh, you know, I went home and I sent him an Excel sheet uh, with estimated time of delivery for each of these items. And uh, when, when can you when can you start and give me short term timelines on how you've progressed and I think the guy just stopped responding to my calls. He must have thought there's this maniac who's coming from God knows where. <laughs> so it, it was a bit of a, like, I, I didn't understand the ways. One, you know, even Orissa was a new lay of land for me. Two, I'm coming from this organized sector where everything is in Excel sheets and, you know, timelines and this, that and the other. It's all structured. Whereas I'm going into this space where everybody is just leading their beautiful lives where, you know, they wake up in the morning and they say, I need 300 rupees to survive. How do I make those 300 rupees? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they would work for two, three hours in a day and stop. You know, they don't want anything beyond that. Wow, so they've figured a good life. They've figured it out and I am trying to hammer my thinking into their head, which just wouldn't work. So I think I had to unlearn a lot before I could creep in and uh, mesh with the community. Uh, but that was quite a difficult exercise, I would say. It took me almost two, three months to kind of, you know, start spending more time, get more meals with them, sit and force myself into at least let's get a tea together. <laughs> you know, I would pull this weaver uh, friend. His name is Lakshmi Dhar. He's from Nua Patna. And he's one of the main people who enabled this for us because we started with the silk sector and then we moved on to uh, tribal textiles. And I think um, with him and his wife, I learned a lot. And uh, slowly, you know, I kind of found my footing. And now I keep looking forward to finding ways to go back to the state and some terrain. I just want to be in that sourcing sector. The sales is a new ball game altogether mm-hmm. for me. So I'm still figuring my path in there. But I think this this part I'm very, I'm holding on to very dearly. No, it's That's beautiful. Uh, and actually the point you alluded to was going to uh, be my next question. So you, through falling in love with Orissa and the craft and the craftsman uh, figured the, um, the, the product side of it. I don't want to use the word, but for the conversation, we'll use the word product. Yeah. But it also means there's another side you have to learn because if you want to take this out to the world, you have to learn a few things. Where yeah. are you in that journey of setting this up as a business? So I'll tell you what, because this has been such a floaty and fun and organic journey, and I did not want to mess with it because I knew that if I'd burn the candle out too strongly, I don't want to be in the same boat of being bored with what I'm doing. Yeah. I want everyone in this journey to have fun. So we let ourselves float. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, along the way, we said that, OK, we feel we are prepared because we've made so many friends in the community across eight, nine clusters that we're working with. We have a way to produce textile. We took our designer into this into these villages and we did a collaborative exercise of the designer and the weavers sitting together and figuring out okay, this particular thing we can do a little bit of a color shift this particular thing we can do a little bit of a two inch to a four inch and i'm talking about anshu arora who's our designer for the label and uh, she was very patient through this exercise she understood that this is orissa we are dealing with we cannot rush them into anything they're pretty happy as a tribe right but at the same time we want to help ourselves because we want to be able to expose this art to the outside world and bring back that appreciation into these communities, right? So it's in our interest that we're doing this exercise. And um, and then basis that we our silhouettes and our designs would take shape, mm-hmm. basis all the information that was given or the inputs that came in from the weavers. So it is a weaver-led exercise. It's not the other way around, sure. right? Um, and, uh, and then, so that was one organic exercise. And we designed our pieces. We had a decent collection of about 25 odd pieces. And then we said that, okay, we look reasonably ready to present our case. And then we kind of started reaching out to friends in the space who are in the sales setup, who are in the same business. And we got advice that we, you know, a website is a great idea, but even before a website, you should do an event. To make your to make a little bit of noise to gain blessings, and I think what really resonated with me was Orissa as a launching point because it meant that we could get all our Viva families together. We could 
worked together and um, it was easy to get all the artisans together. So we had about six, seven people. We did one show in Orissa first in Bhubaneswar. And I think that was beautiful because we received blessings. All the weavers came with their families and you know everybody loved what we were doing. And uh, that helped our case a lot. So from there, we took it, we did not open sales there. But from there, we took it to a Bombay and Srila Chatterjee, who runs Baro Market, she has been instrumental in 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 spreading the right word and in supporting us. And when, when I met her almost two months before we actually launched in Bombay, I met her only for 15 minutes with a backpack with, you know, lots of Boito creations. And I just kind of started wearing them in front of her and I gave her the story, just like, you know, I told you my tribal textile stories. And within 15 minutes, I could see that she's on our side and she's very, you know, she bought uh, or rather she was resonating with all our ideas. So she actually said something beautiful. She said that, you know, our uh, space is booked out a year in advance and therefore it's all chock-a-block. But having said that, your story is so beautiful that if somebody else did this for you, I'd actually be jealous. So I'm going to find a way to make this happen. You know, and that to me... You have to imagine this little child who's gone to a candy store and who needs the money to buy it. It was almost like that. I was overjoyed and I came back home and within a week, she figured it out. She found three days for us and uh, we we squeezed it all in. And, you know, it just became a beautiful story of this, that leading to the other. And so we've reached a point where we've publicized ourselves. We've gained traction and we see a lot of interest from people. We've managed sales as well and knock on wood for that. So people are yeah. believing in us. And I think the story is powerful. So now I think in terms of next steps, I want to be able to sustain this, uh, keep our weaver units really happy. We want to be able to find a system to pump health into the weaver communities, you know, whether it's uh, state-of-the-art facilities, whether it's nourishment or whatever else it takes, whether it's respect, and of course, an economic shift, which will be an eventuality, I think, if we're able to float this venture across the globe. Lovely. But staying with Richa, yeah. um, because I always think about the people who could be listening to our conversation. And uh, the purpose of owning it is for women in similar situations who right. are on a fence and say, should I, shouldn't I? And they hear the story and they say, hey, I'm going to take that plunge. So I want to talk about all aspects of making a choice, right? Owning it also comes with choices. It comes with uh, giving up some things, trade-offs. You are a young mother of two children in their teens. um, And you also had your corporate job uh, and you found this passion. How do you balance it? What are your trade-offs? How do you make it work? Uh, And what are the tough bits? See, I would say uh, when it comes to family, it has never been tough. And um, I've had a very supportive husband from the very beginning um, who has really pushed me and uh, said that, you know, you're, you're capable of so much more. And the only way to make dreams come true is to actually see them with open eyes. Or rather, you know, you're thinking about something continuously with open eyes. That's a dream that you must go after. Mm. So I think when he saw this uh, passion in me and, you know, I'm always talking about this Urusa textile and these people and they're so beautiful. And he recognized it in me before I could. So he set the stage for me, literally. And he said, listen, we are uh, gifted. You know, life has been kind. So we have the leeway to experiment, whether it comes to commercials or it comes to kids or it comes to family life 
we are not in a situation where we have to think too hard. Our kids are much older, which means I can take time away from them. And also, having said that, even when they were very young, right, I would step out to an office space for almost 10 hours a day. And, and it wasn't an easy job even back in the day. My kids are only two years apart. I did take a five-year break when they were born. But after that, I've just been, you know, working. working. So I, the house was always on autopilot because it never, I was never a very critical uh, unit to kind of manage the wheels. So that worked in my advantage. I think the kids have grown up to be sane individuals and they're at a stage where they can speak English, they can speak Hindi, um, they can survive the world and they can do numbers. So I feel like they're, they're pretty ready for the world, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good to let them be. And also I grew up uh, in a very independent setup. It's not that my, both my parents were guiding me at every stage of life. And I appreciate them for it because, uh, you know, I, I had the ability to make my choices, to think for myself um, at a very young age. And I want to be able to pass that on to my kids as well. So I think uh, it's all good. Lovely. No and, yeah. and those are role models, right? I, I, I think nothing teaches our children more than when they see their parents uh, make their choices, right? You can't tell the kid, hey, make your choice, but not be doing that yourself. Right. So, so I, I think you're an amazing role model to your children. Yeah, I think also freedom is such an important word, right? All of us cherish freedom and we want people to give it to us. Yes. And I think therefore we have to be enablers of freedom as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'm there yeah. as a guideline. I'm there to take care of you if you need me, but Otherwise, you are your owner and you lead the way. I think that's the way I want to look at it for my kids as well. No, that's powerful. And you said something very important. Uh, freedom is ours to take. A lot of times we create jails ourselves. Right. I, I mean, the door's always open, but we choose to think of it as closed. So it's, it's, it's a lovely message through your story. The question I'm going to ask is a, maybe a little unnecessary, but like I said, it, it came to my mind, so I'm going to ask you. You said at SAP, while you loved it, the sabbatical made you realize that it was a limited existence in a, in a certain way. It was good. There was not. Do you think, though, and, and this is specifically because of the person you are, I wouldn't ask it of a lot of people, do you think, like you said, for you, money isn't a constraint now that it allows you to view that? Or you do you think the person you are would have arrived at this place anyway? Because in, in a, I don't know if it's a, you, you tell me if that's a no, question you, you want to answer. I hear you. I would say that even as a child, um, I never felt restrained by money. Mm even though my father would be like, you have to respect, you know, this is your pocket money and this is how much I would, I would be quite careless about it. Uh, I wouldn't attach myself to money in a big way. And uh, because I remember him yelling at me at multiple instances where I've lost money or I've found it after losing it because he's insisted that you go and find that 500 rupees. I don't care. You know, and I, I would be like, what the hell, Papa, it's okay. You know, but I knew that we are struggling. And despite yeah. that, I think I had that, Sony money yeah. but uh, you know but with time I think uh, I, I do respect money a lot it's not it doesn't come easy and I've seen those days 
But having said that, I'm still of the camp that if we have enough to kind of take us through, I think we're in a position of privilege. If we have a little bit more than what we have to take us yeah. through, we are in a position of privilege and I'm choosing to exercise that privilege in a way that engages me beautifully for this life. Actually, even as I asked you that question, I knew this would be your answer because I, I but I wanted to ha- ask that question anyway, because sometimes we have these conversations and it can keep remain siloed. It can come off. And I wanted to bring across that I feel even if uh, you were less privileged, but more comfortable than the average person, I think you would be exactly at the same point, is what I feel. I'm also going to say that I've been extremely uh, fortunate uh, to be in this setup where we're not, you know, we're not fighting to make ends meet. So I am in a comfortable setup, uh, thanks to the way life has treated us. Richa, I want to end our conversation with five years later. Okay. Um, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be with Boito? Uh, where would I meet you five years later in this journey that you've now started on? Sandhya, like I said, it started as a passion project where I was thoroughly enjoying my journeys into deep into the vein and artery of the state, which I call my home state, right? Um, and suddenly we came to this juncture where we said we can make this available to everyone globally. And let's figure out how to do this. Let's find the building blocks to get there because that's the one way to make sure that these arts and craft forms are not lost. Mm. Uh, and these communities don't perish because you know they, they're farming communities, all right, but they, they can do with a lot more. You know, even if they're not asking for it, we can show them that. And then it's their choice whether they want to pick it up or not. Uh, but they have their USBs going, right? So we want to be able to build that faith, that trust in these communities that we are here and you are here and we are both working as a team. And once we take this out and at this juncture that I am today, uh, we've got a lot of good press going. Everybody loves our work. You know, we've built traction on social media. I feel very responsible at this stage. So it's not anymore just a fun journey that I was doing. Mm. It has become a space where I feel like I need to own a lot more than just this passion project space. And I'm responsible to the commitment that I have, which is quite unsaid, but everybody is looking forward to what we can do with this this boito, right? And um, I, I do want to, like five years from now, like you asked, I want our stories to be heard far and wide. Uh, I want our products to be like beautiful in the sense of not just being appreciated because of the story behind it, but because they're beautifully crafted mm-hmm. garments, right? And they're, they, they, have a, they have a USP, for example, the coat part coat that you look at, only two or three people in the world have that skill to build that particular weave or that extra motive uh, technique or you know how the dye can be made from the root of a tree. Only that one village in the world knows it today. So we cannot allow it to perish and we want to be able to let that sail and people have to appreciate this. And the product has to do the talking of, of this, this particular aspect. And so I think this entire marriage of all of this is a big challenge that I see ahead of us. And being able to successfully meet all of this and bring Boito to a global platform where everybody recognizes these stories and how beautifully these garments represent them, 
um, that would be, uh, you know, a success for me. Are you afraid? I'm not afraid. I feel like uh, we'll get there. Yeah, I, I think with friends in the community, with friends like you, with I think everybody has been super nice. Uh, and that's been my experience. Everybody wants to join hands and help without any any share of the pie in it for them, right? So I think my experience so far has is, is validation enough for me to not feel scared of what lies ahead of us. And I don't think you should. I really believe in your story, um, Richa. And while you said a global platform, um, my wish for you is that we see Boito with the Chanel's of the world, with the Yves Saint Laurent's of the world, um, for two reasons, right? Why not? Why not an Indian brand uh, alongside these international brands? But also just from what you've told me about just the craft and, and the intensity and the preciseness and the beauty, um, you know, so uh, more power to you and more power to Boito and keep owning it. We need more women like you to own it and to just really transform the world we live in. Oh my God. Thank you, Sandhya. That is super powerful. With every conversation with women who are taking control of their narrative, I'm constantly inspired. Don't forget to tune in to the next conversation with yet another woman choosing her own path and owning it.